all the important people come down to the front. If you are in fifth grade or younger, we invite you down for our children's chat at this time before you head off to Hope for Kids. How are y'all doing this morning? Okay. All right. Things are good? All right. How you doing, Pipes? All right. So, where is God? In heaven. He's in heaven. Where else is God? Everywhere. Everywhere. How can, you, how can he be in heaven and everywhere at the same time? He's in our hearts. All right, and he's everywhere. Yeah. Okay. So how do we know that? How do you know where God is? He's everywhere when you carry him. He's everywhere. Okay. You carry him in your heart, therefore you know he's with you wherever you go. And with everyone with whom he's in their heart, okay? But how do you know that? Did someone tell you that? The Bible. The Bible tells us that, right? The Bible tells us who God is. It tells us where God is. It tells us all kinds of things about God. And, hmm, let's see. Does God love you? Yes. How do you know that? Because the Bible says that. And how do you know that what the Bible says is true? Because God made it? This is, this is really good. Y'all are awesome. Yeah, he inspired it is the word we use. He inspired the people who wrote it to write down what they wrote. But God was at work in giving us the Bible. Yes, someone named John did write part of the Bible. You are correct. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life, shall not perish, but have everlasting life, or something like that. How close was I, John? All right. Um, that's right. I, I think I used two in there. I used two different versions that got collided. There's a better word for that, but that's what I did. Okay, so you have the Bible, and you have the God who is everywhere, including in our hearts, and then by faith, he allows us to believe his word, to know that he loves us, to have access to who God is and what he's done for us. Um, Listen to this. This is a group of people who came to know Jesus, and after they came to realize who he was, this is what they said. So a a woman had helped tell them about Jesus, right? And so they came to try to find out more. They met Jesus, and this is what they said. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. We know that the Bible is true. We know that God is in our hearts. We know that God loves us. We know that he is our Savior because he's given us the gift of faith 
to be able to believe that, right? And so you can grow up knowing that God loves you, that God forgives you, that God is with you, that God is always on your side. How's that? That's pretty great. You seem really excited about it. Why don't we pray? All right. Dear God, we thank you for the gift of faith that you have given us to be able to see that you love us, that your word is true, that your love is eternal, that your son is our savior, the lover of our souls. We thank you for that gift to be able to know these things as we grow, to know that you are the God who is with us, who is within us, who guides us, who loves us, and who grows us into uh, the children of God that you created us to be. We pray your blessing over these children as they study more of your word and hope for kids today. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lead them into a deeper understanding of your love for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great time and hope for kids. Why are we whispering? They're the most important people in the room. You can talk as loud as you want. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, we pause before you as we open your word, and we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would reveal to us that which we need to give to you, that which we need to confess or acknowledge before you, that you would um, plant within each of our hearts, those seeds of faith that will grow and grow. Uh, We just invite you into this time we're spending in your word. We lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We lift to you all of those whom we know and love who are sick or facing uncertain diagnoses or recovering from medical procedures. We pray your healing mercies over your people. We um, lift up Kendall, and we just pray for a healthy mother and child to uh, full term and healthy delivery. We lift up uh, Lori Branson and Yolanda Clifton and upcoming surgeries. We lift up Steve Kopp and his recovery from uh, surgery this past week, and we just pray your healing mercies over all of those whom we know and love, who are in need of those graces. We lift to you the relationships in our lives that are strained, and we pray for your peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift before you those whom we know and love who are grieving, and we pray your comfort over their hearts. We lift to you our country and our leaders at every level of government, elected and appointed, and we pray for wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform. We pray that you would watch over and protect them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way. We ask that you would bring them home safely. We lift up those who've returned home from their service changed, and we pray that you would use your church, us, to minister your grace, your healing to them, mind, body, and soul. 
Lord, we uh, lift up your church here at Hope and around the world. We think of the churches that we are connected to through our denomination and through our admissions giving. We pray your blessing over all of your people around the world who are worshiping you today. May your word go forth through their mouths and not return to you empty. We lift up Paul and Elizabeth Branch in Guatemala, John and Diane Davis in Laredo, Texas, uh, Pastor Miguel and Tatiana Broche in Camajuani, Cuba at our sister church. We pray your blessing over all that you're doing there. We lift up Pastor Patchy and his wife Marilyn in Havana, Cuba. Pray your blessing over their ministry. We lift up Robbie and Joyce Hamd as they continue uh, to serve your kingdom in Lebanon, and we just pray your blessing over there, over the work you're doing through them. We lift up Monica and Benjamin Bailey elsewhere in the Middle East, and we just pray that you would be with them and bear fruit in their midst through their faithfulness to you. Lord, we lift up the church plants in our state through our denomination in Katy and New Braunfels and in Austin, and we just pray your blessing over those young works. Be with us now as we open your word. Speak to us through the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, we are in the midst of a series of messages that is titled Unveiled. We are looking at some of the accounts that involve women in the Bible whose names were not recorded uh, in the stories that that we have. And as we've done this, we've been sort of reflecting on these women and God's interaction with them and hoping that this would also bring to our own hearts, uh, for example, if you're a woman and you're listening to this, I, I hope that you feel a part of a, of a long-standing sisterhood of faith, that you are uh, spoken to and drawn closer to God by your connection to these women. If you're a man who's listening, I hope that uh, you will have better value for the women around you, that you will uh, see how God values women and how you are called to value women, to understand the movement of God uh, in these women's lives and what it means for us. And so that's the, the crazy endeavor that we're engaged in. And you know we do this because we believe that, that God was at work in the inspiration of his word, that the Bible is God's love letter to us, that he wants us to know something, that he wants us to dig into his word and uh, pull out of that uh, something that is uh, more deepening of our sense of his grace and love for his people. And so we want to see Jesus in these words. And you'll see um, really an amazing interaction in this story. And I'm going I'm to go ahead and sort of uh, tip my hand a little bit. Um, a couple things you should be aware of. Uh, Israel at this time, so this is gonna, this is, we're looking in the Gospel of John at a story where Jesus is traveling from between Jerusalem and his homeland, Galilee. And there are two ways to travel. <laughs> there's, there's the long road, which takes you out of, across the Jordan and through some, some hills along the other side of the Jordan River, and then back down, right before you get to the Dead Sea, you would cut back down into Israel. And it's a little bit 
uh, let's just say, a little bit more treacherous of a journey. And then there's the shortcut that cuts through a land that's at this time in history called Samaria. Samaria, at one point in history, used to be part of Israel. And then the Assyrian Empire took care of that and erased that region of the globe from Israel's history, sort of. They, they took it over, cleared it out, repopulated it. And in this area, there's a strange phenomenon that some of the people are partially ethnically Jewish, and they have some partial Jewishness to their religious expression, but they are also partially ethnically not Jewish, and they have a lot of other religious expressions that are active in their midst. And so the Jewish people who live in communities on both sides of Samaria do not consider them clean, worthy, holy. They consider them dirty and sort of wrongly um, idolatrous. And so most good Jewish people would actually choose to take the more treacherous route around Samaria and go from Galilee to Jerusalem that way rather than go through the heart of these unclean people that they despise. Jesus goes right through uh, the middle of what is now Samaria, and he stops in a village that used to be called Shechem, and it's now called by a, a hybridized name because other cultures and languages have come into that region. And he stops at a well where you're going you're gonna to get the whole story here, and I just want you to... Um, if there's something that I think helps if you're reading this, the woman that he encounters, I think, is flirting with him at first. And it's really fascinating to, to look at this story, this encounter. Um, this is, a, this is a, um, an interaction that no good, God-fearing Jewish man would allow to happen. And Jesus just goes right into the heart of it. And he knows that she's flirting with him, and he's going to take that in attraction, that interest, and he's going to flip it to its rightful place. He's going to take her wrongful desire and turn it to a rightful desire. And it's, it's quite masterful, it's quite beautiful. Um, but I, I do think that's what's going on. You may disagree with me. You're free to do that. I'm okay with that. Um, but I think that's what's going on, and I think you'll see it as we read. I'm in John chapter 4. I'm going to begin in verse 5 and read all the way through verse 42. So here we go. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sichar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. I should interrupt and just say that's noonish, so it's about noon. All right, back in. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? 
for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was, who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you ha- I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming, when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then come the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Where shall we begin? Um, and Kendall, I couldn't help thinking about you when it was you know you saying others have labored and you you've entered into their labor and our our prayers are with you, dear. Um, so I, I think. The, the first most remarkable thing in this story is Jesus approaching this woman and asking her for a drink. Um, that water jar that she had carried down to the well would have been, because of its origin, an unclean vessel to a Jewish believer. Um, there's... There's really no scenario in which any other Jewish man of this time period would have made that request of that woman at that hour unless he was literally dying of thirst, perhaps. And then he might have just chosen to go ahead and check out. The, the, the hatred between these people groups was that significant. And... It is, it is worth noting that this is happening at noon when most women from her village would have come down at the break of day. They would have gathered together and they would have helped each other fill their jars. They would have had a social gathering around that activity of filling their jars with water. These would have been the women who were acceptable, were friends with each other, who all knew each other, and there would have been a lot of catching up at that well every day at roughly sunrise. Noon was for people who were not welcome at that well at other times of the day. And so this is one of the clues that helps you understand the, the place where this woman found herself. She's even, even in the culture, the non-Jewish culture in which she lived, um, she would have, um, this, like, half of you aren't even going to catch this, but she would have been the Elizabeth Taylor of her day, right? That means she had a lot of husbands, in case you were missed the, uh, the analogy. Um, she would not have been a respected citizen of her community. Um, she would have been looked down upon for her... Uh, recurrence of relationships. Um, she had a messy life. Jesus demonstrates in his engagement with her that he knew this. He understood this going in. He knew exactly to whom he was speaking. And he moved toward her anyway. And she could only have interpreted his gestures as... Um, 
what's the what's the church word for this? Um, inappropriate? I don't know. Like, there's only one way to interpret him asking her for water in the context in which this encounter happened. She automatically would have assumed he wanted something from her. And then the conversation begins. And, and you see her sort of, Sir, what is a Jewish man asking a Samaritan woman for water? Like she's, I think, playing into his, what she thinks is his advances. And Jesus very patiently just keeps the conversation moving towards that which he wants her to know. And there's some really uh, amazing things in this passage. But let's just start with this call for all of us to develop a thirst for living water. To have that thirst for that something that transcends this life. She knows that what Jesus is doing is breaking every social convention of both of their cultures. And yet, they start talking. It is in verse, hold on, 10, where we see this idea that what God brings to us is a gift, that we are to receive the gift of God into our hearts. This gift is for anyone, for a Samaritan, for a broken woman, um, for the outcast, for the one who's left to go pull the water up for herself from the well when no one else is there. This is the person for whom the gift of God waits. It comes to her. It comes to us. This is where we drink the water of eternal life. And there's this great conversation that ensues between Jesus and this woman where she doesn't fully understand that of which he is speaking. He fully understands what he's talking about. And he says to her, I've got the water you need. That thirst that's within you, that you've been trying to fill with men, I have what you need to satisfy, to quench that thirst. It's the water of eternal life. It's the gift of God. And it's for anyone. You don't have to be socially acceptable. You don't have to have your life together. You don't have to have your ducks in a row. God loves you. And he wants you to receive that gift, to drink of that water of eternal life. This thirst for living water brings us to a place where we are to worship him in spirit and in truth. 
And I, and I know I'm flying through this passage. There's a lot of details in here that we're not going to stop upon. But this incredible conversation that comes towards the end of their interaction, you know, she's found out. He tells her her life story in a nutshell. And she says, okay, you're obviously a prophet. There's no way you could have known all that um, unless there was some, something supernatural going on here. And then she, she changes to, from sort of challenging him uh, in terms of their gender, and she's now challenging him in terms of their ethnic religious differences. And did, do you see this? He, he uh, you know, she says, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And she's actually poking him. She's, she's saying, you know, your God doesn't like us. So what are you doing here? Why are you telling me this? Um, are you, are you going to tell me I have to move to a, a Jewish state and live closer to Jerusalem so I can worship God correctly? And Jesus says, no, no. I'm here because everything is changing. I'm here because God is moving. I'm here because he loves people and he, he, he is, he's drawn to brokenness. He's the God of healing. He's the God of love. He's the God of wholeness. And he's coming not just to you, but to the whole world. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go kind of off script for just a second, but if you go back in the Old Testament, when the Ark of the Covenant was moving through the Sinai Desert, um, what, what went with it to show the presence of God? By day there was a cloud. By night there was fire. All right? That fire represents the, the presence of God. What Jesus is saying is this is all about to change. And after his resurrection, 50 days after his resurrection, he would be with his disciples on a, on a, at a Jewish festival called Pentecost. And do you know what descended from heaven upon the disciples that day? After Jesus went up to the right hand of God the Father, down came what? The Holy Spirit. And it looked like what? Tongues of fire, flame fire. And that fire, instead of coming down to the temple and resting above the Ark of the Covenant, remember on Jesus' crucifixion, the the curtain was torn? And the fire now spreads out onto his followers. And the Spirit fills them and they begin. And so that fire, that spreading of the presence of God, that spreading of his Spirit is what Jesus is talking about here to this woman. He says the, the temple will no longer be necessary as part of worship. I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to lay down my life as the final sacrifice for the forgiveness of the sins of God's people. And because of that, 
you will be able to worship God from anywhere. You won't have to send to Jerusalem to have a sacrifice made. The sacrifice will be made once and for all, and I will change the way God's people worship. So, worship used to be something that drew everyone back to that temple where the Holy of Holies had the Ark of the Covenant that represented the presence of God. And Jesus is saying to this woman, that's all about to change. I'm going to explode this, and worship will happen everywhere because the flame of the Spirit of God will be present in the hearts of my people all over the world. So that's the much bigger picture that Jesus is painting for her, that everything is changing. He tells her that God is seeking her. The one nobody else wants to be around, God is seeking her. And he is about to explode the idea of worship. He is pointing out to her that he is the fulfillment of all of these prophecies about the Messiah. She calls him a prophet and then mentions the Messiah. And he effectively says, I am. I'm the one. It's me. He's right here. And I came to you. I initiated this conversation. I have extended to you the gift of God's grace, even though you didn't think you deserved it. And her heart is completely changed. And I think this is, this is the, maybe the most interesting part of the story. They have this, this interaction that starts off kind of on the wrong foot. And then it moves to the person of Christ as the Messiah, the, the Savior, the, forgive, the one who would forgive her sins. And then what does she do? She sets down her water jar and walks back to her village. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what the equivalent of that would be today. Like she, the, He just sat down his cell phone and walked away, right? Like something that integral to life. She just set it down and walked away to go tell people in her village what happened. That water jar, that's an essential item. That is necessary for sustaining life each and every day. She found something more important, more true, more real, more valuable. And she teaches us that we need to reassess in our own hearts, and our own lives, what is truly valuable. What is it? that we need to set down and walk away from. Because all we need is faith. That's the only thing that has changed in this woman's life at this point. She walked down to that well in, I don't know, shame? Isolation? As a, as a castaway from her society, 
And she found something there that she'd never found before. Grace, love, inclusion. And it all came through faith. She didn't need a, she didn't need a class. She didn't need a degree. She didn't need um, really anything. She brought to this relationship zero credibility, zero status, zero prestige, probably not any money, zero education that we know of, nothing. But the internal transformation of her heart changed everything. And then the woman who has nothing went and shared with her community about the one who changes everything. So there's, there's, a couple, there's some movements I want you to see here. All right? There's Jesus and the woman at the well. The disciples are up the hill, across the fields, and up on the, up on the bluff in the village, transacting business to bring lunch back. So they're going to have a picnic. The woman leaves the well and walks back up to the village and right as the disciples get back. So they, they come back. The woman goes up. They're wondering what's going on. They have this weird conversation with Jesus about food. And he's like, I have something to eat you know nothing about. And they're like, what? Who snuck him a sandwich? I have no idea. <laughs> Where'd that come from? And as they're having this conversation, and Jesus is saying, first of all, my food is, is to do the will of my Father who sent me. And then he goes on to say um, these weird things about the laborers and the harvest, the, the sowing and the reaping. Here, here's what he's saying. He's saying, the fulfillment that you are seeing right now in your lifetime has been worked toward throughout redemptive history. All of the prophets, all of the priests, all of the kings have been leading up to this moment in history, the coming of the Messiah. You get to be part of the harvest of souls that all of these other people worked to put all the pieces in place. They did all the work. You get to be here to see the final results. And the cool thing about being in the kingdom of God is that you can, you can actually sow and reap on the same day in the kingdom of faith. There's no waiting that's necessary. So he's telling them both of these things. He's telling them you're, the, you're at the focal point of redemptive history. You get to see something everybody else has been looking forward to. And you also get to see the results in your own lifetime of the fruit of the Spirit bearing itself out in people's lives. We are to give those around us access to our Savior, to relate to others on the basis of what God has done for us. So, I need to be more forgiving because God has forgiven me. I need to be more patient because God has been patient with me. I need to be more generous because God has been generous to me. And this woman 
has discovered the only thing that has ever quenched her spiritual thirst, and she goes to tell others about it. And Jesus says to his disciples, look around you. So they come down the hill, the woman goes up the hill, or across the fields and up the hill. And then a little while later, he's talking to the disciples, and he says, well, he says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. There's a little bit of a historical background clue here. The Samaritans, every, every tribe of people at this time period had a dress code. They had a type of clothing that, that set them apart from their neighbors. The Samaritans wore all white. Everything was white. So this woman goes up the hill. She's telling people in her village, and I, I, would, I would love to know what she said. Right? Was she just like going 300 words a minute? Was she articulate? Was she just spilling out excitement? I, I don't know. But within a few minutes, all the Samaritans start walking down the hill, and they cover the hill and the field in front, between the well and where their village is, they cover it in white. And Jesus says to his disciples, look up. The fields are white for harvest. In other words, we're here to bring souls together. We are collecting the souls that God wants to love into his kingdom. That's why we're here. This is our job. Look around you. The purpose of all of this is people. We are the convergence of God's sovereign plan. And while others have worked for millennia to bring us to this point, you get to be part of it now. You get to see, you get to sow and reap. You get to reap the benefits of other people's efforts. And you get to see the results, the fruit born in your own time. And it all, it all comes down to Jesus. The Samaritans hear this woman talking about what's happened, the transformation that she's experienced. And they come to see the one. And they meet him, and they say, Can you stick around for a little while? We would like some more of this. And he spends a couple of days with them. And at the end, they all acknowledge something. They say, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this, indeed, is the Savior of the world. Jesus crosses so many obstacles here, so many barriers to reach the hand of God out to this woman's heart. And she is so transformed by that love, by that grace, that she goes, she leaves her water jar where it sits and goes and tells her village. 
they all come back, and here's the beautiful irony in this whole thing. There are these Jewish followers of Jesus who are gathered around him who have to be just like jaw-droppingly stunned that there are Samaritans of all the dirty people on earth, these just despicable people are confessing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. The least likely people group in their reality is confessing the one truth that we all need to know that Jesus indeed is the Savior of the world. This story and and all the stories we're reading are are about much more than just one woman, right? They're, They're really about the heart of God, the way that He moves, the way that He uh, extends the gift of his grace to people's hearts and lives. But can we just celebrate this woman for a moment? Like, what she was saved from in that moment, everything in her life, the, the, the train wreck of relationships that she had piled up around her, and then there's this one relationship that she enters into that day because the Savior of the world sought her out. Because he initiated that contact and drew her to the realization that he was not just a prophet, but the Messiah himself. And she found forgiveness and grace and love and acceptance to such an extent she left her most prized possession, her most necessary possession, right where it sat and went and told everybody she knew. And as a result, all of these unlikely souls will be gathered around us in eternity, singing the chorus of praise to God's name. This is, this is really all of us. None of us deserve this grace. We've all been transformed by a gift that we didn't ask for. And because of that, we are to spread his love, to show, extend his grace, to forgive others as he has forgiven us. Will you pray with me? God, our loving Father, we marvel at the heart of your Son who broke rules or at least social norms in order to bring his gospel to bear on souls that did not deserve what he gave them. Lord, we are those souls. We are the broken. We are the discarded. And yet, you are the God of wholeness who calls us into his eternal family to be a part of that which
is beautiful and whole and good and right and true. Lord, grow us in our understanding of your grace that we might leave our water jars and go up the hill and spread your love. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Allow us to worship you in spirit and in truth everywhere we go, in everything we do. May you be glorified. In Jesus, son, we, in Jesus your Son's name we pray. Amen.